All right. So welcome to CFP's The Stack. I'm joined by longtime friends uh, and great advisor, Mike Troxel. Mike owns Modern Financial Planning. He's a CFP, CPA. He's a 2X Investopedia Top 100 advisor. Uh, he's also a, a husband, father, successfully destroying the, the dad bod stereotype. Great human being. Mike, thanks for being here, man. <laughs> Solid intro. Uh, good to see you, Isaiah. Happy to be here. And, uh, you know, I got to come clean. I got to come clean with the intro. And this is what you're calling it, CFPs that stack. So although I'm in the financial planning world, I am not a CFP. I'm a CPA. You're right about that. Uh, but You're not a CFP? Own. I thought you were. Not? No. Man, uh, I really I really screwed that up. We're going to leave it in just because I make mistakes <laughs> and, and things happen. And I don't edit these. So that's that's another piece of it. Well, shoot, the CFP that stacks in this podcast then is Isaiah. So we'll, uh, we'll leave it at there that. There you go. Exactly. And, and I don't even know if you own Bitcoin, and we're going to get to that. I'm not going to put the, the cart in front of the horse. I'm not going to put you on the spot because I don't want to do that. But for those that maybe don't know you, um, kind of give us a background of, of where you are today, how you got there, what's your firm look like, stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, firm is you know, based in California, but we obviously work with folks all over, like a lot of people. Um, primarily work with folks in tech, stock options, RSUs, equity computation. That's what we like. That's what we're good at. Um, and we didn't just pick that. I think just being in, you know, or, or starting in the Bay Area, uh, then having a tax expertise. There's two CPAs on staff and, and another EA or former EA. Um, so just Bay Area home plus tax expertise. It's it's the stock options, stock computation was just a, a easy fit. So now um, I don't have the all the exact numbers, but I'd say we're working with folks in 15 states, working with you know 50 to 60 households right now. Um, just on board in a third advisor, so there was two, so now three advisors. Um, you know, planning, investment management, and tax returns um, for most people. That's uh, cool. kind of, yeah, married, four kids, and uh, planning on no more of those. Yeah. Even though I love them to death, love them to death. How, how have you been able to attract clients? Is it just like word of mouth? Did you do any sort of, you know, marketing content, things that have worked? Um, what's that look like today? Just out of curiosity. Good question. And that, that, that's a big goal right, right now uh, is we want to be able to create a little more, uh, flow because a lot of the flow over the years has been a bit random where it's like, Oh, referral here, person we know here, this person found us online, this person saw a blog post. Um, so there's always been a flow, but it's, uh, I would say it's predictable. And so we're trying to be a little better, um, about content and putting stuff out there and just be, to be able to, uh, you know, yeah, produce a more predictable flow, I guess. Yeah. So I won't put you on the spot because I don't actually know the answer. So I'm not going to ask if you own Bitcoin because I hate that question. Um, unless I already know and someone's already publicly talked about it. But my question, I guess, is this. Do you have clients that have had questions or ask you about, you know, questions around Bitcoin or I'll even say broader crypto, just knowing Bay Area folks, you do some tax stuff. You're going to get into the, the weeds with a lot of folks. I'm curious what that looks like. Do I have people ask me about Bitcoin? Yeah, do you have questions? Like, has it come up in conversation? And, and what have been those questions? Uh, I'd say yes, it has come up a lot less frequently than you would think. Working, um, or than I would have thought, right? Working with, you know, uh, average clients probably, 
you know, mid to late thirties couple uh, in the Bay Area that works, one or two spouses would be in the tech industry. You would think there'd be a lot more questions yeah. on Bitcoin or crypto. Obviously, you like to focus on Bitcoin. Uh, and I guess one example would be for everybody, whenever we're gathering data and we're you know, asking about holdings and assets and accounts and different stuff, you know, insurance policies, we're asking about everything. We do put uh, cryptocurrency as you know, on the list, right? And so uh, it is something we, again, we're not maybe having a conversation, but it's on that list that clients see. So it, it, I guess indirectly we're asking everyone about it um, if they if they own any. Uh, and some do, some don't. I'd say most of them don't. Um, the most of the ones that do own a very little bit. Uh, and then sometimes we get questions about it. I'd say rarely, but it does um come up uh mostly during the heyday right or during the, the really exciting times um you know i didn't i have the firm in 2017 but i was in the business and that was a time when you know people are asking about it um and then 2021 was also there was more questions but but like i say a lot less than one would think or what than i would have predicted yeah, I I know I was at Merrill in the 2017 run up and had, you know, lots of people asking questions then. That was initially kind of my foray into what is this Bitcoin thing and then it was kind of when it crashed and dies when I actually tried to learn and unpack it a little bit more to to dig in and you know kind of the the rest is history, but what what have been the questions is it like hey, should I own this? Um, how much should I own? Should I sell it? I mean, knowing from a tax perspective, especially with like the wash sale rules, I would imagine that's probably more or less where the, the questions come or, or is it different than that? Or do you remember? I know it's not yeah. a ton, but I'm just trying to... Yeah, no, uh, I'd say it's more so about, uh, hey, I have a, you know, this friend is you know, talking about crypto, talking about book, Bitcoin, yada, yada, kind of, um, you know, what do you think about it, right? What do you think about it? And, you know, we can go and you know deeper uh if you'd like but i don't feel like i'm real i'm dogmatic or like i have strong opinions on a lot on a lot of financial things right even even the the third rail topics like uh whole life insurance right i have general opinions but it's like hey i'm open to it let's take a look at it right let's let's unpack it um so similar with crypto or bitcoin or or any other assets like hey here's let's talk about it there's some pros or some cons and um you know we, we 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 really try to lead with education first and let the kind clients drive um and i think that sticks out a little more in our business just because of all the stock compensation and all of the concentrated positions right someone works at or used to work at tesla and they have 60 percent of their net worth in this one asset you know we can't be dogmatic and say hey sell everything diversify if it, anything's not in vanguard you're terrible Right. That's not kind of how we operate, which, uh, you know, we see 50 percent positions. We see 70. We see 20. We see we see a lot of this stuff. And again, not that this is this, you know, this is somewhat tangential to any other uh, exciting, we'll call it exciting asset classes. Right. Um, or it's like, hey, here's some pros, here's some cons. And if it works out, this is what maybe could happen to you. If it doesn't work out, here's what could happen. Um, and then, hey, you make the call. Right. Uh, and we let the clients make the calls and that's how we've a lot, you know, the conversations we've had around Bitcoin, it's not like we're, uh, 
say, oh, we're going to fire this client if they own more than 24% of their client stock. And similar with Bitcoin, right? If they own, you know, uh, 0.002 Bitcoin, are we going to fire them? No. It's like, you know, they, we want them to be aware um, and make the decisions they're comfortable with. What's kind of your overall, when you think about it, the investment thesis of just in general with clients? So we'll take a step back. I want to come back to some of the, the Bitcoin stuff here in a second, but I think kind of the foundational, what are your thoughts, investment thesis, if you had to, you know, boil it down or be as expansive as you want? What does that look like? Just in uh, like portfolios in general? Yeah, just portfolios in general, like broad, you know, TradFi, whatever, yeah. however you want to take it. Like, how, how do you talk? If I'm a client, I'm like, hey, Mike, I'm interested in working with you. Like, what's your investment philosophy? What's your yeah, investment yeah. thesis? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say uh, nothing too outlandish, right? Uh, you know, a lot of core index type stuff with some flavor on the sides, right? And that flavor would be, you know, different factors, you know, value momentum. Um, and, you know, you know, there's U.S., there's international. We have a U.S. bias. Um, that's mostly client-driven. Um, you know, previous, it's, we've had built that a little more U.S. bias um, over time just because it's just, you know, client preference. And I think that does flow later on for the Bitcoin conversation is there's human characteristics, there's preferences, there's behavior stuff um, around why clients and advisors do certain things. Um, but I'd say it's pretty down the middle. You know, we're not doing anything crazy. Uh, again, we have some clients that own crypto, and that's wonderful. We have some clients that do some angel investing, um, stuff like that. Again, we're supportive of it, um, but we are not, I don't know, managing that per se. Sure. We're not. So kind of stock and bonds would be kind of what you would kind of lean to or the vast majority of any yeah. any assets you manage? Stock and bonds, yeah. A little bit of you know real asset stuff. Um, okay. So you talked about, you know, clients being able to kind of drive the conversation, pros and cons with Bitcoin. How do you, how do you view Bitcoin today as Mike, the advisor personally? Um, what do you think about it? Like what, what, what are your thoughts today? And I know you said you have a strong opinion, so I'm not asking you to, yeah. to make some out outlandish statement, but just what do you think about it? I would say uh, generally, right. And for purposes of this conversation, a lot of the thesis around Bitcoin, a lot of the ideas, I think are, they're great. They sound great, right? They all sound good. Um, and then at the end, it's sort of, okay, but we don't know, right? And it's, again, similar to with the conversations I have with uh, employee stock, right? It's like, you know, I like I like this, I like the CEO, I like the market, I like this. And, you know, it's like all these things. And this is why I think it's gonna, you know, XYZ startup is gonna pay off down the road. Okay, uh, those all sound great. I don't disagree with any of those. Um, it's just a question mark of, we don't know, right? Um, you know, obviously Bitcoin has, uh, my understanding is the, uh, the community has, this, their sites are set on major goals, right? Maybe, I got this expanding, uh, maybe global reserve currency. Maybe there's a lot of a lot of potential. And there's a lot of great um, arguments about why it could be the one, why it's why it's needed, why it's better. Um, and then a lot of our current uh, money system today, 
Um, for sure. A lot of them are good, good points. Um, I just think we don't know, right? When it comes to a client allocating their money, right? We just don't know. Do we, do we want to put 50% of our investments in this? Do we want to do 2%, right? Do we want to do none? Do you want to pass on it? Cause maybe it's a hassle, right? Just like some people pass on getting more yield on their bank account because it's maybe they don't want to, um, they don't want to open up new accounts, right? Maybe that's like some people don't do credit card hacking because it's annoying to track. Sometimes people don't want to open up a uh, Bitcoin or a crypto, uh, Coinbase account, or they don't want to do the hardware wallet, or it's annoying, or this or that, right? It's like, hey, cool, sounds good, um, right? We don't force anyone to do anything, and there's um, there's a lot of asset classes, and some of them have some of them are, are easy to invest in, right? And some there's major, I don't know, uh, there's hurdles, right? Everyone is attracted to multifamily investment properties that kick off, you know, 8% cap rate, right? It's like, okay, not everyone wants to go through all the hurdles to get that. Um, so again, we, um, that's like generally how we, uh, approach it. Yeah. I think, you know, people hate it to say it, but like the idea of the number going up and the performance is what drives eyeballs and people's interest in Bitcoin. And like, I think anyone that says otherwise is kind of lying. And then you learn more and you kind of understand and, and hopefully kind of grasp like why, why you want to own it. But are you familiar with Charlie? It's like Charlie Biello. I think he's a creative planning. He puts out lots of different charts on Twitter. Yes. You know I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah, he's great. So he does like the, you know, different assets. And I think he did one recently that was, I think through the first quarter or first half of this year. And then it was like going back, I don't know, well over a decade. And it's like, hey, there's one asset that sits at the top almost every year. Crazy compound annual growth rate. And that that asset is Bitcoin, right? And so you'll have a lot of advisors that all, you know, say X, Y, Z reasons for why they don't want to allocate. But at the end of the day, um, it's the best performing asset over the last decade. Um, it's been the best performing asset since 2020. It has a lot of different, you know, unique properties that are, do complement well to the more traditional stocks and bonds. Um, why, I mean, why for you, don't you have a conversation with clients today? Like, is it, I don't want to get sued. I don't want to have the sec come and knock on my door and ask questions. Um, I don't think it's a, a real asset class that's going to add value. Like, is there a reason that you can point to? Not that I'm like trying to, to, to like twist that everyone should. I mean, I personally believe that, but you know, just like you talked about with clients, every advisor has got to come to their own conclusion, but I'm just curious, like, you know, you look at, look at it and I always will encourage people to run the numbers. If you look at it, it's like, Hey, this could help like make life easier. It helps grow net worth. It does all these different things. Is there, you know, something that you're like, this is the reason why I don't get too excited about talking about it with clients. Well, yeah, I think there's, there's a couple of things there. One is, you know, why don't we bring it up or recommend it to clients? And I, you know, we, we let, you know, the, a lot of people we work with, hey, they know about Bitcoin, they know about crypto, um, and a lot of them are financially savvy. Most of them are, um, and so we let them know how we invest. And there's stuff that we don't do, like we I mentioned, angel investing or hedge funds or private equity or um, you know crypto or um, private REITs or even whole life if you want to call that a, a an investment. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there and 
if anyone's interested in that, we're happy to go down again and and um, and help them. You know, there's a lot of sales pitches on a lot of the stuff, right? <clears throat> so I guess there's uh, we don't actively uh, recommend it, and it's not there's not a, a, a black market against it. And I think the um, you know the, the performance, and I think uh, a that's true, right? Um, but I don't, in my experience, having a lot you know, of conversations, uh, I even had some conversations today about this, uh, just in preparation for this. In my, in our conversations, people don't usually put a lot of weight on that, right? It's like, um, it's almost like, it's like the headline. It's almost like a clickbait headline. Well, if you would have put $10,000 to Amazon and IPO, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, hey, no one did that. You know, no one yep. that did that, right? You and I know no one that did that. And then even if the people that did it, the most of the population would have sold at some gain or sold when it was down like 99%. Um, so I would argue that, you know, I, I guess a lot of people discount that, that fact or that step, right? Um, you know, you could argue about timeline too. And I don't, I don't know, right? I don't really have an opinion there. How long is enough, right? Is, uh, for, is 10, 10 years enough? Is 15 years enough? Is 80 years enough? Is two years enough? Right? I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I guess people think a it's newer, and that is right. People really weren't talking about it. Um, you know, I don't know when it came up in two thousand eight, nine, two thousand ten. Um, no one had ever heard of it really until like twenty seventeen, um, and then their exposure to it is it's volatile. Um, you know, there's not you know even the people that are active on social media about it. A lot of them get kind of quiet um, during certain periods, and then they're shouting from the rooftops when it's in the 50s and 60s. Um, so even a lot of people I know that have acquired it, I really don't know many that have made money on it. Um, even though it's like, oh, you know, the performance, this and that, um, which is true, but you know, on the investor side, again, you could argue maybe that maybe advisors need to be more involved, right, to help with the behavioral side, right? That could be a valid point. Um, but the, I don't know, the, the performance piece, yeah, maybe I'm discounting it, right? Maybe it's just a uh, personal bias I have. I, I don't put a, personally put a lot of weight into it. I don't know really a lot of folks, um, that do, cause it is new, right? And we just don't know. Um, I think there's a lot of confusion too about, is it an asset? Is it a currency? Is it this or that? You know, there's, a, um, you know, the, the, how is it used? What's the. Um, purpose, right? Is Bitcoin going to go to a million? Um, I mean, it's a, there, there could be more education in the space. Uh, but I think a lot, I think some of the evangelists could also use some education, um, on, you know, making these massive proclamations, uh, of, you know, it's going to be at a million dollars by this year and that year and this year. It's like, I don't know people see this stuff and, they're not in it for the long term, right? They see all these headlines. Bitcoin's going to a million. All right, I'm going to buy some. I'm going to buy $5,000 worth. All right, well, you know, then next year I lost 10K. It's like, okay, well, this is like annoying. I'm checking it 16 times a day on Coinbase. Um, you know, I'm afraid of doing this hardware wallet thing. Um, and then, what, you know, this is a very short time period over the last year. Again, maybe I made or lost 10, 10K. Um, maybe my investments over here, they're, they, 
similarly or they're up, you know up in the same ballpark and they're they're all one dashboard and one it's like oh, I'm just gonna get rid of this account kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Again, that's not that's not like a, a critique to Bitcoin in the 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 fundamentals or the facts about it. It's more so the like yeah I don't the, know, the human the human side of it. Yeah. So a couple I just was writing down a couple things to come back to because there was a handful of things there. So the newer piece, how much weight do you put on like equity market? performance in like the 80s and 90s compared to today like that history is that important do you think it's viable do you think it matters do you think the world's changed and technology has made that information still useful uh i mean i, I think in the, in the stock market's favor right is you know there is a long history whether that is valid or invalid right but you i don't think you can invalidate the fact that people like that right we have a lot of data, and whether it's raw, bad data or this or that, it's like, okay, over the years, buying, owning companies that make money, you know, it's a little more tangible, right? It's like less tangible than real estate or the, the renters handing you a check to, okay, this is appreciating or depreciating, getting some dividends. It's a real company. I can go kind of shop at the store. I can go shop at Walmart. I, I own Walmart. I'm gonna, it's kind of like, um, but... I think naturally, sure, do I put weight on there's decades and decades and decades of um, history for sure. Um, I don't know when the stock market, you know, NICE started, but I would assume people were less confident in it in the first 10 or 15 years um, sure. than, you know, 70 years later. Yeah, so the, the S&P's traded less hours than Bitcoin has since its inception in 2009. And so I think the, the way that I always try to look at this is, you know, Bitcoin's traded more hours, so you have more trading data, right? And it's in a world that's more reflective of where we are today from a technology perspective, because the 80s and 90s compared to today is two different worlds. It's not the same. Um, the trading capability, high-frequency traders, like just the, the market structure is so, 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 so different that I struggle when people will, will use like, well, we've have all this history and I've been a sucker and fallen into that too. Same thing. I, I don't think you can discount it. Cause I agree with you like that, that matters and it gives comfort, but I think the comfort is misplaced just because the world is so different. That would be just the way that I would reframe it. Not necessarily the, you know, Bitcoin has all this, you know, trading our history and that makes it, you know, around for a while, but it's like, this is the world that we're in now. And I think that's a post, you know, great financial crisis that changed everything and the world is structurally different. The equity markets, the bond markets, the, the way that monetary policy is done is structurally different than what it was done, you know, pre great financial crisis. And I, I think that would be an interesting spot to kind of unpack and, and go into, but we don't necessarily need to, to do that here, but any thoughts on that? Yeah. I would say the only difference is the business aspect, right? Well, yeah. So like, Bitcoin is the business. Right. But when, when we're talking about the stock market, yeah, it is owning businesses, right? So it's like there's businesses that have been um, in, in existence for or, or existed for decades or hundreds of years or hundred years, I, I can, right? And they're in, in business has changed due to technology, but but business has not changed in in, in you know in some degree, it's like these people, they go into business, they go to make money, they go to increase value, they're selling stuff, right? You can buy. Um, so yeah, I mean, trading hours and this and that for sure. And there's plenty of uh, 
charts and whatnot. But as far as like the tangibility uh, aspect, the ability to relate, I think I think it's. it's I think um, money different. is older than even business, though, right? People started having money to to barter and trade. I mean, you can go back historically and say money is older than even businesses, right? And if you believe that Bitcoin is money and it's an asset there, it's the same thing. So like, look at the, the properties of, you know, gold has been money for 5,000 years. If I was, you know, in the Roman times, an ounce of gold gives me a nice tunic, 1970s, an ounce of gold gives me a nice suit today. Maybe I get a nice suit for an ounce of gold. It's been kind of the de facto money was backing the currency till, you know, we closed the gold window in 71 and all that other stuff. And now we're kind of purely on a, you know, fiat standard, um, but I, I would look at it the same way of like, what's the kind of the evolution of, of money over time. And, you know, you look at these businesses, a lot of businesses are digital. So the idea of moving more and more to a, a digital money and, and less from, you know, something that's dictated from the state seems to, to make sense in a, a kind of a digital, digital world as well. And so that would be, again, I, I, a reframe I, there. I, I, I agree with those, those comments. And I, and I think they're two different uh, and, and maybe, Maybe I'm wrong, but I view them that as like two different things. One, we're talking about investing, right? And then one uh, in, in businesses and whatnot. And then the other is money and currency. And I, I think a lot of the points around Bitcoin being a potentially stronger currency, I think, again, I think they're great points. I think they're great points um, for sure. And there's a lot, a lot of validity and there's a lot of flaws and neg- negatives to our current setup. Um, absolutely. So I, yeah. And, and I would say, you know, ultimately, you know, Bitcoin is, you know, money, but if you look at it from an investment standpoint, it's going through a monetization process. It went from collectible. So it was nerds and, you know, your mom's basement with Cheeto fingers, drinking Mountain Dew that were into Bitcoin in, you know, 2010, 2011, right. Definitely techie nerdy folks. It was not, you know, mainstream. And you mentioned 2017 kind of be in the time or more, I, I would say, you know, normal and I'll use, you know, kind of, you know, the, the air quote idea there folks started to talk about it more. And I think it's much more normalized today. Um, so yeah, it isn't a stock and it is very different from an asset class, but what is the purpose of investing? The purpose of investing would be to either maintain or increase purchasing power into the future. Cause if we could just save our money and stick it in the bank, we wouldn't have to invest, but we kind of are forced to right now. So yeah. I, I would imagine maybe you would push back or disagree. Like the only reason we want to invest is to grow that. Right. And so I don't, I don't know if it matters whether it's a business, a stock, you know, whether it's gold, all these other things. Um, ultimately, what's the idea of us putting, you know, and I hate the term putting money to work, but the idea is that it's growing or protecting purchasing power into the future so that we can live the life that we want to live. Totally get it. Yeah. And I think a lot of it comes down to, again, the, the tangible piece to it, right? Or the education piece where again, people are getting exposed to Bitcoin at the wrong times, let's say and promise these things, right? Uh, and then their personal results are a lot, um, you know, are a lot different than, again, the headlines. Hey, it's going to be a million dollars by the end, end of the year. And maybe, mm-hmm. again, maybe you could argue they're the same, and, and, and maybe that is correct. But I think a lot of people view them as different, like currency or money versus investing. Uh, even though we have inflation, even though our dollars lose value um, every day and every year, and they're continuing to do so, um, it is slowish. And so we, we, view, we, we view currency and we view money 
as something more stable. It's obviously slowly rotting, but it's a little more stable. I mean, I don't know, um, you know, how much, uh, you know, you buy a cup, cup of coffee today at, at Starbucks, it's black coffee versus five years ago versus 10 years ago. Again, is it, uh, I don't know what it is, right? I'm sure it's changed. I'm sure it's got more uh, uh, expensive, but for, in our minds, right, it's in the same ballpark. Even if it was a dollar then, it was $2 now. It's like, okay. Uh, and then seeing, and then the investment side, it's like, okay, I'm putting my investments over here. I want them to grow. I know these are going to bounce around. Um, and I think that is one thing that we're, again, it's just a challenge, right? Maybe it's lack of education or understanding, but it's, you know, I want my currency to, sure, I want it to hold value. Yes. But do I want it to go up and down, you know, 30% this week or 30% next week? Um, maybe long-term, it doesn't matter, right? But I think in, in general, we view, um, again, that, that's a cup of Starbucks coffee is going to be the same price usually today versus tomorrow um, or within, call it 2%. Um, and th- I think that is a, a challenge if people draw a line there. Money, currency, investments. Um, and, I, you know, I guess what Bitcoin is all of the above, I'm not sure. Yeah. So the, the monetization process for any asset would be the collectible. So that's kind of the nerds in the basement store of value, which I think is, is where Bitcoin is today. We can come back to why it is a store of value. If we want to kind of show some tangible examples, then it goes to medium of exchange. So being able to say, Hey, Mike, I want you to do my taxes. I'm going to pay you. You're happy to accept Bitcoin for, for that payment. And then unit of account is we go into the grocery store and, you know, our flour, our meat, our, you know, milk is priced in in sats or, or bitcoin and so like mm-hmm. that's going to take time and no one in existence living today has ever seen an asset monetized i think that's kind of the cool part that i get excited about um but i think going back to some of the things you talked about earlier with you know the the, the price going up and all these different things it, in, ultimately incentives drive everything and i i believe that i think people inherently are selfish people are going to do what's best for them and, and Bitcoin kind of harnesses that in a, in a, I think, in a positive way, right, where it doesn't ask for everyone to be benevolent and everyone to cooperate. It kind of is built for environments where people aren't going to always be nice and friendly and, and, and do well by each other. But like the, it is built to be, you know, anti-fragile and be very resilient, where I would say, you know, the current structure of where we're at today is the exact opposite, where we kind of continue to see hey, great financial crisis, 2008 was supposed to be a once in a lifetime event. And then we have these other like events that are happening similarly to that. And it's like, oh, well, this isn't supposed to happen again, right? We're not supposed to have these events that 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 pop up again, but yet they seem to, to come up more and more. And so like we have a very fragile system. And so people will look at, well, my money is stable, but it's it's stable because, you know, ultimately what happens is when we get in trouble, we just create more of the supply and say, how do we pump a lot more liquidity to stabilize this? Well, what does that do? Well, if we already have the assets that we want to own, we're in good shape because it just pumps up the asset value of our home, of our stock portfolio, of our real estate, of all these different things. But if I'm trying to accrue those things, and maybe I'm not someone that already has everything that I want, that just continues to get farther and farther apart. And so a lot of the clients that you probably work with, you know, in the Bay Area, they have, you know, technology background. Technology is deflationary, right? Would you agree? Like, 
you know, we've become more efficient. We wouldn't be able to do a podcast like this, you know, 10 years ago for the cost that it costs now. It's ridiculous how cheap it is to do this stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. But yet the cost of living continues to go up. The cost of life is not getting less expensive, even though we have all this new technology. Why is that? Why shouldn't we embrace that technology should make our lives easier, cheaper, but we don't see that. Do you have any thoughts on maybe why that is? Yeah, I, mean, I think those are all <clears throat> legitimate points, right? And they're all they're all valid points. And uh, just you know, for myself, but also conversation I have, there is a A doesn't always equal B, or we just don't know if it equals B, right? So it's like well, they're all there's these flaws here. Yes, agree. There's these advantages here. Yes, agree. Does that mean this technology? is the one a and b the one and it's gonna also you know go up a billion percent right we, we you know I, we, we don't know right we don't know um so i think those are all valid points i don't really have a uh uh yeah. you know <clears throat> kind of points to it right yeah do you think i guess let me ask this do you think inflation is good for a functioning economy like do you think inflation is good because i hear this and i obviously have an opinion that i'm not trying to lead it too much but is inflation a good thing? Yeah, uh, there's a, you know, A, I'm not a monetary expert, but... Uh, That's good because most of them say things that don't make any sense anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> uh, if I had to... So high inflation, definitely not, right? I would, my vote would be for no inflation, right? That would, I guess that would be my vote. Um, but there's a lot of smart folks that seem to... Uh, vote for, okay, a little bit of inflation is good. You know, one to 2% year over year, right? Uh, and I can't defend that position uh, sure. intelligent, uh, in, in, intelligently. Um, but, you know, what, what is it? It's like, okay, maybe people aren't going to hoard their money and they're going to be more mo- motivated to work and and then our, our, lend, our, our lending system and a lot of our systems on, on, on borrowing money and debt, um, you know, what would happen without all that, right? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not an expert on it. Um, but do I like inflation? No. Do I? Uh, so I, yeah, I prefer stability. Absolutely. What about, so you talked about like the evangelists and I, I, I would ask for an example, but I don't want you to have to feel like you got to, you know, throw someone under the bus or, or bad mouth someone. So I won't ask for names, but let, let's describe this Bitcoin evangelist. Um, and you said that they need some, maybe education or, you know, they're, they're saying things that just doesn't make any sense. So as an advisor, what are the things that drive you crazy about that? Or what are, what are they saying? Like, other than just like price prediction, which I think is tricky price predicting price of anything is really hard. Like we see that all the time with, you know, S and P or where interest oh, yeah. rates are going to go. Like no one can predict it. So it's really, I think a fool's errand, but what's your, um, what, what would you like to see or what has been the issues with those evangelists as you kind of call them? Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, good question. And I totally agree. Making massive predictions on anything is good, right? There's a famous Yogi Bear quote, making predictions is hard, especially those about the future. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, it's not a, you know, Bitcoin uh, specific, but some of these are the, the headlines of say, you know, it's the, they're the big ones, right? It's like all the banks will make their S&P target next year and they're all going to be wrong, but they're all like, you know, they're not saying S and P at twenty eight thousand next year, right? That that maybe um, K 
Kathy Wood or something like that would make predictions on, on Tesla. It's going to go to you know, 50 jillion. Um, I would say, again, just from my own experience and, and conversations I have, um, and I think, I think this applies to a lot of, um, we'll call it movements, um, where messaging, it helps the movement when the messaging is tighter, when the messaging is more specific, when the messaging is on a certain goal. And people are going to learn about Bitcoin, and there's a lot of different stuff um, that people talk about, right? Like one second, it's like, you know, currency and this and that, and price stability. And the next second, it's going to go to a million dollars next year, right? Um, and, and it's uh, a hedge against, um, you know, the stock market, which I'm sure there's great data that does back that up. But again, people's real life experiences, it, you know, it went down and when, when COVID hit, um, and then when assets started to explode at the end of 2020, every asset, it was exploding. It's 2021, right? 2022 was a terrible year. It came down. So again, I'm sure there's plenty of data that maybe supports the different volatility because people's experience. So they hear, oh, it's a hedge. Well, well this is down and, and my Bitcoin's down, right? It's a currency, but it's, you know, going up all over the place. It's, uh, you know, it's going to a million dollars next year. Oh, well, I lost $20,000. Um, so it's, uh, I guess if you took some of the claims and put it, applied it to like, I don't know, something else like a stock market, they would be, um, I don't know, maybe probably label the whack job. Um, so I think it's hard when someone's trying to learn about some new exciting thing and there's a lot of, I don't know, different claims, right? There's the blockchain, there's the technology, it's the currency, it's the asset, it's this, it's that. Um, so it's just very, again, maybe the end up, the end final answer is it's all lovely and great, and but it's, uh, it's challenging for the end consumer, right? To cut through all of it. Um, and I think some of the cheerleaders or evangelists are, um, you know, it doesn't, I don't know if it helps the cause. Um, by making huge claims. And I'll go back to one of the first things I said, where it's like, we don't know, right? Um, where that comes but up. But you don't know about anything. You don't know that, you don't know that exactly. the is going to have a positive return over the next decade, right? So, exactly. but no, you I, would I, still, I, you would still claim, but, but any advisor would still claim that, you know, that people should, should save and be a long-term in, investor, long-term saver, right? I mean, if you look at bonds the last decade from 2012 to, 2022 the end of the year like treasury bonds and the ag were both negative for a decade yet i don't see anyone claiming that people shouldn't own bonds even though i would advocate for a significant reduction in in bond ownership for investors across the board but advisors are fine with that because there's all this history well the history doesn't make a damn bit of difference because bonds are kind of like a math problem and i don't think many advisors think about it that way they just think like hey this asset class is just something to diversify it's like well, no, rates are super low, rates are rising, and you have inflation. Like, this is the worst possible scenario to own fixed income, but yet it's the de facto, you need to own it. And so I struggle with that because you don't know what happens in the future. So you're going to say, okay, so interest rates are going to no, get I, cut, I, and that's the only way you're going to have a return? I, I, I don't know about anything in the future. But and we have this, this comes up in all of our conversations, but I'm talking yeah. about the Bitcoin evangelists. There's not a lot of like, 
hey, we don't know, we don't know, we're, we just believe in this, but, we're bullish on this. Even even one of your last guests, who's a big Bitcoin person, he mentioned something like, I'm not doing this to get wealthy and rich. It's like a principal thing. Um, that's like, you know, he wasn't making massive predictions. I think that's that's a good comment, right? It's like, yeah. we don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know about the S&P 500 next year, but this person over here is like really convinced 1,000% that this is going to be the new currency. This is going to go up to a million dollars next year, blah, blah, blah. And they're a big cheerleader. So I'm more talking about the messaging. Yeah. I say I don't know to my clients all the time. Is your yeah. company no. stock going to go up or down? Yeah. I don't know. Let's but make I think, an yeah, appropriate size to bet. You can have a lot more confidence in, in, in comfort in Bitcoin, though, because it is math and code, right? So it's not a company. There's not a CEO making a decision. There's not a Federal Reserve making a decision that you are unaware of what the final outcome is. I know there's going to be 21 million Bitcoin. I know that every four years, the issuance gets cut in half. It is a, a public ledger that I can look at and say, hey, adoption continues to grow because there's more addresses adding Bitcoin. There's more people buying Bitcoin. Um, you can see the proliferation of what it's doing. And so it's very clear and transparent. And it has a rule set that has not changed since 2009. Yes, there's been some minor upgrades over time. But like the rule set of what Bitcoin is has been unchanged. And so that's why I think you hear people make those claims mm -hmm. because it's not a company. It's not someone saying, hey, we're going to come in and make these changes. Hey, Elon's out. Isaiah's in. We're going to change Tesla, right? Mm -hmm. Like you what? don't have to worry about that because the rule set is there. Yeah. And there's this time in 2017 where there was a goal to increase the block size, make it faster. And there was this Bitcoin cash movement and Bitcoin movement, right? So they tried to change it and it failed, right? If you measure Bitcoin cash by Bitcoin, it's lost like 99% of the value. And so Bitcoin has been challenged. There has been these moments where people have tried to change it and it doesn't work. So it's kind of ossified in that. So you can have a lot of confidence when you save into Bitcoin. And I always try to say save versus invest. But again, let's say you invest, save, however you want to, you know, whatever um, you know, term you want to use. You have a hell of a lot more confidence than you do in anything else. Because just as we know, yeah. the S&P 500 can change. It used to be a lot of energy. Now it's a lot of tech. What's going to roll and change over time with what's the, the constituents of that index and what happens and what happens to geopolitics, geo, mm -hmm. geopolitics and all these other things. Mm -hmm. So that would be my pushback of why I think some evangelists, sure. Do they take too far? Sure. Have I been a cheerleader that probably said things that I shouldn't? I think there's a tweet out there that says Bitcoin's cheap at 62,000. I still agree with that. I think Bitcoin's a hell of a cheap <laughs> bet at 62,000. I'd still buy it at 62,000. Um, I'll buy it at 662,000. I'll buy it at 6 million, right? Like that to me, it, cause it doesn't change what it is. Like ultimately when has there been a bad time to have money? And I think that's the idea of like, if this mm -hmm. is money, which I believe it is. And if you look at, you know, ask the question, what is money? What are the properties? And that's some of the stuff we get into, into like the course and all the other stuff that we yeah. do, but like the education has to be there. And I totally agree because just throwing out, Hey, Bitcoin, the halvings coming up next year, I think it's going to be in 2025, $200,000. It's hard for someone out on the street to just be like, sure, that makes sense. Yeah. You should, uh, I should buy it because it's at 30,000. It's going to go up to 200 K by 2025 in October, like perfect. And there's articles that I believe like, yeah, I think there's a lot of merit for why this person believes this. And there's some, you know, structural reasons within Bitcoin and some things that are happening. And yeah, there's just, a, there's a big knowledge gap. And sometimes people, I think, jump ahead and, and say things because they have knowledge of what's going to happen or, or, or what the, the protocol is supposed to do versus, you know, someone that is just like, I want to get rich. And there's just mm -hmm. a big disconnect there. Cause I don't think that's what ultimately Bitcoin's supposed to be. Bitcoin is not supposed to be, you own it for two years, you get rich and you have more USD. That's not, you're never going to win that game. The goal should be, Hey, I think this is something mm -hmm. you want to own for the long term. And if 
advisors truly are working with their clients to be long-term investors. Um, you know, we don't know what the future holds again, Mike, to your point, but if you see a fixed supply asset and you have more demand than there is supply, the only natural way to reflect that is in the price. And, um, historically, if you look at the balance sheets of the global, um, Federal Reserves around the, the world, so the BOJ, the ECB, the Fed, PBOC, like all those, right? Like Bitcoin is a sponge that, you know, mops up global liquidity. And so when they turn the printing presses back on, because they have to structurally because of the deficits that they run, Bitcoin absorbs that and will continue to grow. And so I think that's why you see people make the claims that they do, right or wrong. Yeah. And so it, it, it's interesting because there's a lot of angles to this, right? And again, this, sometimes it's a it's a you know a challenge in folks understanding this because we're talking like one second we're talking investing, right? And then now the next second we're going over technology. And so you say uh, we can't predict the future, yes, but we know all these facts about Bitcoin, right? I don't hear anyone debating the technology or the blockchain or the twenty-one million, right? Uh, and that's not what all the evangelists are saying. They're not all they're not nonstop talking about the technology, right? It's about maybe maybe. It's about the investment piece, the prices, the performance, and this and that, right? And so, you know, comparing the stable technology to changing S&P 500, again, that's like taking one aspect and comparing it to a different one. Um, you know, you would say this technology is not going to change tomorrow and Walmart's not going to stop selling toilet paper tomorrow, right? Uh, there's, you know, there's some stuff that is maybe not going to change, not going to wood, and other stuff that is, Um but for the user, right, for the person who's thinking about allocating their money towards this or saving in it, right, they don't know, right? We don't know just like anything. Um, and everyone has to weigh their level of confidence, right? Is this bank going to fail? Um, it could, right? But I'm going to maybe bet certain levels of confidence on this bank uh, or on the insurance on it, right? Again, maybe right or wrong. And then similarly with their dollars are going to be, how much I'm going to save in this Bitcoin asset uh, and how confident am I that that money is still going to be there in you know, a week later, a year later. Right. Um, <clears throat> so I, I don't know. There's a lot of aspects. I think there, again, there's a lot of positive to it. I, um, yeah, I think the question is how confident for anybody, how confident are you, how much money, how much of your dollars are you willing to and interested in putting in this, um, sure. you know, category, currency, asset, investment, whatever the term is? Um, is it zero percent? Is ten percent? Is it eighty percent? Right? Um, that's the question. I think that for me, that, that that's a big question on, on any investment. Yeah. So let's say I say, and I I do believe this, but I'll say so. Twenty thirty, I think Bitcoin is seven figures. I think it gets to a million dollars by then. Let's say I believe that. I believe that doesn't really impact. Um, things if it doesn't get there. But so you probably think, oh my gosh, that's ludicrous from 2023 through there, seven years, it goes from 30K to, to a million. What is the probability then of, of that happening in your mind? Is that a, a 1%? Is that a you know 10%, a 5%? So like you weigh that probability and then that is saying, okay, what's the price today and what's the price in the future? Because you don't have to agree with me 100%, but you could say, I don't know. And I could say, yeah. Maybe there's a 20% chance that it happens. So like, what's the 20% of, you know, a million It's 200,000. So if it goes from 30 to 200,000, is that still, what, what is that compound annual growth rate or what's that rate of return? Is that enough to justify then a small position in that asset class? And so my, 
I think the biggest thing that I've learned is like, you can't borrow my conviction in, in, in Bitcoin, just like no one should be borrowing any evangelist conviction in, in Bitcoin. They have to kind of do the work and figure it out for themselves. But for a lot of people, it's like, there's probably a sub 5% allocation that they could take that would make a material difference if somehow maybe they are wrong or these probabilities play out a little bit higher. That's not going to sink what they're doing today but still provide them a rate of return. And if you look at, you know, Vanguard's market expectations over the next 10 years, they're not pretty. And so for a lot of people, like if you're getting four and a half percent on real returns on your, you know, US equities, is that going to hit the goals that, you know, as advisors, we might have with clients? And I don't think that's what people are putting into their financial planning software. And it's like, well, what if you can take a, and find a five or 10% where you have this high growth, unique, very distinctly different asset class that you can own that actually helps hit the numbers that you need to hit because they are truly a long-term investor where you can say, Hey, you know what? I'm not sure. And I'm, I can't say for sure for anyone, right. That it's going to hit a million dollars. I think that's what it's going to do for a variety of reasons, but Hey, you know what? This thing has, again, the, the track record that's there, it has a, a protocol and it has these rule sets that have not changed and you keep contingency adoption. There's very variety of different metrics where you think you could go. Um, and then, yeah, if you put it in a portfolio historically, it looks awesome. But again, that past performance doesn't guarantee future results. And, you know, I, I'm just like you, I hate when there's the CNBC article that says, Hey, put a hundred thousand dollars in Tesla or $10,000 in Tesla. And, you know, 2016, you would make so much money. Um, but it's like, okay, I'm going to make this allocation. And as the assets here, my stocks, my bonds, my real estate and my Bitcoin fluctuate, I'm just going to continue to rebalance and like that still works really well. And it's not going to sink the ship if you're dead wrong on Bitcoin. Um, but I, I think it's hard. I think it, you're hard pressed as an advisor to not include it over the rest of this decade. Like I, I just, I, I think it, especially with the news of folks wanting to launch an ETF, which I don't think is a great thing. And I don't want people to own the BlackRock ETF because that's not true Bitcoin. That's an IOU. You never actually own the asset. You're purely getting the price appreciation in dollar terms, but you don't actually own the underlying asset. So I think that's something that I would really, really encourage people. Like that's not what you want if you're going to allocate to Bitcoin for your clients or for yourself. And I think mm-hmm. you should do it yourself before you're ever doing it with clients. Uh, I think that's super important. Yeah, I don't know enough about the ETF, but I would imagine. So I guess quick clarification, this is going to be a lot better or close, uh, closer tracking to the price than, um, the other thing that currently exists, what is it, GBTC or something? Yeah, GBTC. Yep. Well, isn't that like there, there's the it fluctuates? There's a there's a NAV issue. So the, the right. net asset value it's at a huge discount, and so it also has a two percent management fee, and then it still charges that on the full asset value, not on the discount. So the discount when it's at like thirty percent is more like three and a half percent management fee. So they just rake in money because they just mark it up to what the fair value actually is versus the. Mm-hmm. The, the discount on the, the, but it, the ETF, it's, tra- it's going to track it. Yeah. Closer. So the ETF would not have the issue because again, that's where, you know, you hear the Eric Balchunas and others of the, you know, Bloomberg ETF team talk about like, Hey, this solves a big issue. So it makes it easy. It's approachable for investors, but ultimately, you know, it's, it's like putting a, a rocket on a, a horse drawn carriage. You don't want that. It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. So you have this really unique special asset that you're putting into a vehicle that's not built for it. And it's just wrong. And can you, and can you clarify what would be the difference um, owning it in Coinbase? Because there, isn't there some, 
And a lot of folks don't like owning on exchanges because yep. is there some similar IOU type of thing? Yeah. So, I mean, BlackRock in their filing has said that they would custody with Coinbase. So it will be held at Coinbase. So you're trusting Coinbase has it. You're trusting that BlackRock then is going to continue to keep the claims that they have. So it's like counterparty on counterparty on counterparty, which is a recreation of the legacy system for an asset that you don't need mm-hmm. the legacy system to own. You don't have but to ask for permission. Bitcoin is the ultimate FU money, right? It is the ultimate FU asset. Behaviorally, I would imagine a lot of people are going to continue to use Coinbase and absolutely. the ETF. Uh, the I, ETF I, I, yeah, the ETF will, will absolutely make price appreciation happen. I'm not going to be the one on Twitter champion Larry Fink going across CNBC and telling everyone why Bitcoin's great um, and why Bitcoin you know, hits X whatever price, right? It's going to make the price go up because they're going to be a forced buyer. Um, to go buy and, and put this spot ETF, you know, the assets there, which is cool in a way if that's what you're after. But ultimately, I think what people will want is they want the underlying asset. You don't want someone else to, to control it mm-hmm. for you. And I think the education there and the opportunity, again, for advisors is not to, to take the lazy route and buy the ETF. And maybe that's how it starts. But shoot, if that then becomes the thing that you have big price appreciation in, um, People will hopefully say like, okay, this is the best performing thing I have. I can actually own it directly versus through them and I don't have to pay a management fee and I can like hold it outside of, you know, the, these trusted third parties, which are likely going to at some point cause issues just like any other time. There's been all kinds of issues, whether you look at FTX or Celsius or BlockFi or all these other, like there's mm-hmm. always an issue um, with, cause they're going to try to do things that won't make sense versus you don't have to trust anyone. You can just own the asset directly. So, yeah, no, it'll be uh, interesting to see for sure. And it could be, it could be the gateway drug, right? It could be the gateway drug. Um, it one, could one be. Thing you, you mentioned, you know, and I agree, you mentioned um, small allocation, five, 10%. And, uh, and again, I don't know if you, this is acceptable or not, but, you know, I share a similar view with clients. Now, again, not just on Bitcoin, but on other stuff um, where it's like, hey, it's, I don't really care what it is because um, there's I, I hear stuff all the time um i care about the position sizing right and so if someone's going to put a few percent in this that and the other thing then yeah, yeah go for it i'm not i'm not i'm not here to talk them out of it um again i want them to know the pros and cons and make the right decision if they're cool with five percent then, then go for it you know i'm not going to pound the table and tell them um it's the worst idea in the world um, I'm not going to do the opposite, right? I'm not going to say, I think it's going to hit a million by this year, right? Um, it's, it's, uh, I, I hope it all goes up, right? I, I hope it all goes up. Um, you know, there's a ton of company stocks that we work with and I, I'm rooting for all of them. Um, it's just, we're trying to, you know, trying to bulletproof things and, um, you know, I don't have wild conviction today that putting 100% of someone's assets in, this is going to bulletproof it for the long term or for the short term. Um, and I don't feel that way about a lot of stuff, right? That's why we have different asset classes. And like you said, stocks, bonds, real estate, and we have whatever emergency savings, we have our house and we have this and that. And some people have, I don't know, livestock or, or uh, guns and ammo or whatever, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of other uh, stuff that people use to try to bulletproof their life and their financial situation. Um, so I think there's certainly yeah, arguments for small alloc- allocations. Uh, and I think that the question people then have is, 
<clears throat> let's say I'm convinced, okay, let's do 2%, 3%. The question people have is, is it worth it? Uh, again, I, I know quantitatively you can, you can prove it, right? So I was going to say, well, I can bring it up and we no, can no, yeah, walk no, through some of uh, them too yeah, if you want to no, see let's, it. Let's, let's, let's ignore that. It's like, is it worth it to have, let's say I have well, $100,000, right? Now I have this, it's only 3000 bucks, and I got to open up this other account here and do this and passwords and keys and this and that. Um, for a lot of people, just behaviorally, just like you suggest that people will maybe buy the ETF or do Coinbase, right? Because behaviorally, a lot of people will say, you know, it's not worth it. It's just a couple percentage points, even though long-term, right? You could prove it out based on the last 13, 14 years. Um, but maybe they'll have it for three months, six months, two years. It's like, you know, I made a little bit of money. I've lost a little bit of money. It's like, you know, I just don't like having my account here, all my accounts or Fidelity, all my 401ks and my Roth IRAs. I keep losing my password over here. Um, so in their mind, is it worth it? Right. And I think for a lot of people. Um, it, it, yeah, it's an incentive. So like if it goes up, so like if you look at a 60-40 portfolio, I just pulled it up and here I'll just share my screen because that way it'll capture it on the, the video. Because I think it is important, right, for for us to, to look at this. And I'm not going to go through every single one, but like you can look at the 60, 40 portfolio and we go back from, you know, September, I'll zoom in a little bit. So it'll show it a little bit easier. Whoops. That's yeah. Back that off just a touch. All right. So 60, 40 portfolio 2014 through basically today, which is, you know, July 19th would be the close of yesterday. You, take a 60-40 portfolio that's analyzed, annualized, you know, 7.7, which is pretty damn good, right? That's been kind of a, a perfect window of time for a 60-40. Um, you go from 7-7 seven, seven to, to 13. And the other thing is the volatility annualized goes up by 1%, less than 1%. That's pretty good. Your sharp goes from 0.5 to 1. Your max drawdown is an extra 2% for an extra 109% over that time frame. Like incentives drive the world. And the other thing I think is really interesting is you can actually have a much more conservative portfolio and carve it out on the, you know, the the risk taking. So if you have the client that has Tesla or has a bunch of S and P or Google or all these like high growth names, they can actually have a lower allocation to those high growth things, have more of a cash cushion, or have more of the you know what we would call stable assets, and then have you know five or ten percent allocation to Bitcoin, and they'll have an overperformance if they would just own one hundred percent the S and P five hundred. I think that is really, really interesting to, to think about. So, yeah. And yeah, I, I don't, uh, I'm not a quant in this sense, but I think, a, you know, a common response would be like, okay, let's pick the you know, the best performing stock of the last 10 years and add a 10% position there, 5%, you know, monster energy, Domino's pizza, right? It's like, um, again, you could, you could debate this all day and, and I'm, I'm not here to de- debate it. Um, it's, no, but the pushback the, is good. Like that's what the goal of this conversation is supposed to be. Yeah. It's not just I mean, a yeah, back like, slap that like the, Bitcoin the is the greatest thing ever. The data is correct, but you know, we, if, if it didn't perform like this, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Sure. Right? And I think and so same thing with the Domino's pizza, right. Or monster energy. I wouldn't bring those names up, but if yeah. I'm some evangelist from them and I all about them and my cousin works there and it's like, Let's do, um, again, long-term, the, like it's your predicting where thesis is, thesis, um, and the numbers look good. And if Bitcoin puttered out after 17, you know, 
we would, we would, we would, you know, we would. Yeah. So you can, chart. you can change the, the time frame and the period and, and show, you know, Hey, Bitcoin's up versus down and, you know, take it from the all time high. And I think that's important, right? So this is, you know, a longer term view on it, but a lot of investors, especially the ones that, you know, you, you work with and a lot of advisors are working with, maybe they're not working with retirees and they're saving actively saving into something. So the volatility is actually a really good thing where it actually helps smooth that out over time. So you don't have the, 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 the swings and everything. And again, the monster energy and Domino's is, is a good, you know, pushback. Again, going back to, you can look at Bitcoin as an investment. Um, but again, it's not a stock because you don't have the managerial risk. You don't have the dilution of them issuing more shares because yeah. you can't here's issue a, more Bitcoin. Here's a question for you. Tongue in cheek. Tongue in cheek. Yeah. You need to bet your life savings. Bitcoin uh, hits a million dollars by 2030 or people still love eating Domino's pizza. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh man, uh, I think the I think the million is more million. likely that people still liking Domino's pizza. It, well, and I guess more people liking like what's liking, right? Like you know, we should have a conversation around seed oils. They're bad, and I think people will continue to get exposed to that. And so maybe Domino's changes from making you know their their food with toxic chemicals, and all of a sudden they're going <clears> to start <throat> using better ingredients. And so maybe they will. Um, but I have a lot more assurances that. Um, Dominoes will change more than than what Bitcoin will between now and 2030, and so like well, to me, like pizza, that's how. Still like pizza. I I I like pizza. I think people will still like pizza, um, but there's still more operational risk on that side to me than there would be on the Bitcoin side. And I get that that you know is is wild, but I think that's a really good question because it's not like a wide like oh slam dunk one over the other. No, I, I still I'm just totally I'm playing around. Obviously, yeah, people are going to like pizza in 2030. Yeah. I'll guarantee that people will still like pizza. Yeah, um, no, and I, yeah, and I, I agree with that. I don't really make many guarantees, but that, that's one I'll make. Yeah, make make the the guarantee on that. Um, but is there? I mean, is, what's the for you? Like, what's the biggest, I guess, question that you have when it comes? Is just the the great unknown of of what will happen in the future? Because I feel like that's kind of been an underlying theme of. It's really hard to, to know what the future holds. And that's why I struggle with, with Bitcoin. Is that a fair way to, to frame it? Or is there another bigger, and it can be like, I don't think it is actually ever going to be money or I don't ever think it actually works or governments are going to destroy it or it's going to destroy the planet. Like, is there like this big thing that you're like, this is the, the reason why I don't think it works long-term? Uh, right. um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, you know, again, I'm not going to bet money against, uh, well, I guess if I had to, right, maybe um, it's just going to be the currency in 100 years, right? I would say anything has long odds, right? So I think by basic logic has long odds. Uh, it wouldn't be outside of the current system. Would it be a front runner? Probably, right? Um, I would say, yeah, not, yeah, not for, for me necessarily because I, I don't really have strong opinions, but I think there's a lot of, stuff out there about how to do it and what to do and even self-custodying, right? So like say that is the way to go. Um, and I'm sure this exists, right? But people are not broadcasting this. I I don't see it. I don't see people yelling from the treetops. A clear playbook, right? Because uh, the ETF is one thing. Oh, buy Bitcoin. It's easy. Go on your account, buy the ETF. Okay, that's easy. People can follow those instructions, right? My grandmother could follow those instructions. I think the next, the, the, the legit folks, uh, we'll call them, is there a clear playbook, right? Because I, you know, I, I hear a lot of different things. 
Um, yeah, you buy Bitcoin. Here's exactly how you, how you do it. Here's exactly how it's, how you're going to follow it. And maybe that exists now, but will that change in five years? In five years, it's going to be like, oh, different. Now there's this different wallet you should use and this different thing, this different, right? Um, I don't know. It seems like there's been some shifting over the years, but I, I would say that would be the, that's the biggest headwind to getting more adoption is, that's what I would say is that the, all the steps you have to go through, right? And again, and again, I'm not equating it to this, but like similar reasons why people don't do other stuff, right? Why don't you do credit card hacking? I got all these free vacations. Oh, I got to track this. I got to open this. I got to move it over here, right? It's like, it's just friction, I guess. Um, so that's yeah, the what friction, the friction is real. And I think that as, you know, the Bitcoin um, ancillary services mature, it will continue to give you options the same way of like, why do you someone pick Schwab or Vanguard or Fidelity, there's choices, there's differences. You're going to have maybe a preference of why you would do one versus the other. Same mm-hmm. way with, uh, you know, a hardware wallet and self-custody. But yeah, you should be able to go buy Bitcoin. You go and click send. You move your money to a wallet that you own. You write down 12 or 24 words and you secure that. If you can drive a car, if you can raise kids, if you've done, you know, you've graduated high school, you can do this. It's not that mm-hmm. hard. It's Would intimidating, say, and I think that's why advisors can come because they are the trusted relationship to teach this. Like that's like the whole goal of this idea of what the CE and what like the advice on Bitcoin thing actually is is trying to train, understand why. Again, you don't have to borrow the conviction, but hey, there's some merit to this thing. Go out and use it, leverage it in your practice, teach and educate because that's what clients want. They want to learn from their advisor. They want to find the trusted relationship they already have, and then. Be educated. Mm-hmm. But go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, do you, so. You acknowledge that there are some challenges as far as like it's not but, perfect. I mean, yeah, it, it, Bitcoin is far from perfect it, as far it, as the way. And it's nothing against Bitcoin per se, but um, it's similar with like diet or budgeting, right? Or like, who? How many people do I know that keep a very perfect budget and track all their stuff? Like, I know like two people that do that. Like, how many people do I know that track their calories and they know everything they eat every day? I'm, I, there's one person I can think of. Right. And so for a lot of us, we don't trust ourselves as much as we trust. Like, who do I trust more uh, if I have all my money in my mattress right now? Who do I trust more to keep that secure over the next 30 days? Bank of America or me? Bank of America for sure. Right. And like we're in this age where there's a lot of stuffs and a lot of accounts and a lot of different 401ks and old 401ks and bank accounts and credit cards and losing passwords, right? Where people are resetting their passwords and there's hacks and this and that. And so again, maybe that's all head trash, um, but the self custody aspect in the steps and the passwords and the storage and the, and then what happened, what if something happens to me and my family, again, I know there's solutions, yeah. right? Just like, there's solutions to budgeting and doing everything. There's solutions, but just behaviorally in this day and age, right? We all have ADD with our phones. Um, for a lot of folks, that is the the steps are unattractive, and then the even once you're through the steps, the there's fear there, right? It's like now I need to like you know ensure all my eyes are dotted and T's are crossed, and estate yep. plan, and family, and 
Um, and there, and we do, we do talk about that in the, in the course, but I will tell you this. So there's a company called Unchained Capital. Um, I think they just go by Unchained now, but it has this collaborative custody where there's a, a two of three multi-sig, which means there's three keys. They hold one, you hold two, so they can never move your money. But if the, oh shit, something happened, my dog ate it, I destroyed it, I lost it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, then they can sign for you to help move your funds. And so it's a nice kind of bridge between the idea of fully do it yourself and fully trusting Coinbase to hold it, let's say for this example. And so I think advisors will have in the future holding one key for clients where they can't move funds. There's no custody. So you don't get an SEC issues, but you can have one key for all your clients that you can sign in case they ever needed the backup because they trust you, Mike. And they know, Hey, if I got in trouble, Mike can help me, but they never have to ask Mike to move their money. If they want to move their money, they can do it and they can Mm -hmm. do it at Saturday at midnight and they don't have to ask anyone for permission. And if someone's yeah. opened a bank account, it's a hell of a lot harder to open a bank account than it is to, to go buy Bitcoin. It's way harder to do that. Way harder. And, so, and I just... To so open I, a bank account. Yeah. How much information do you have to give up versus being able to open a wallet, whether it's a hardware wallet or a software wallet on your phone? Like, that is so much easier to be able to then receive funds. Like, I could send you <clears> money right now within three and a half minutes by you holding up a QR code on your phone and you would have value and you can never do that. I can never send you money from us both setting up a bank account and then getting money in there and then sending it to each other through like a Zelle pay. Like that would never work. And so there, there is a stepwise function where it just allows for a lot more autonomy. You're talking about speed. um, I'm talking about information that you have to give up too, and just how easy it is. But as far as ease, like I think a lot of people would argue, Oh, it's very easy. Right. I, I know you can go on, Robin Hood and open up an account two minutes, right? Um, with information you know, you know, name, address, blah, blah, blah. So I would call that a challenging or, 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 or difficult. Um, more information, sure. Um, but again, going back to like just human behavior, we've are, we've signed up for a thousand accounts, right? And so for a lot of folks, it'd be... thousand and one. They just don't right, want another one. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be a challenge. Uh, I think that the more challenge would be the you know, talk about ease or difficulty, it would be understanding the other, you know, this is kind of a new world, right? And for average, average Joe Blow to comprehend all this, it would be not easy. It'd be very challenging. There'd be a lot of steps. And that's steps. the advisor's role, right? And that's where I think the, the, an advisor is huge in, in educating the families and the people that they work with on, on why and not shoving it down their throat that everyone has to do it, but saying, Hey, I think this helps accomplish and solve the goals that you've articulated, Mr. and Mrs. Client. And this is how it works. This is how I can help. If you so decide to do it, I'll be there to kind of hold your hand and help because you pay me for this. And I also want to make sure that I'm doing this right by you. And I think that's where the role will develop over time. And whether people want to get there today is one thing, but I I think there's going to be a forcing function towards the tail end of the decade for it. So. The yeah. goal would be be prepared and be proactive versus being super reactive to it. Mm-hmm. And the, the unchained thing you mentioned uh, that sounds attractive, and I think you know I think there's three camps. You know, in Bitcoin, there's probably more, but there's like you know, the far into it, far against it, right? And then there's a lot of folks in the middle. You know, and, and I would put my um, self in the middle. You know, open to it, think it's cool. You know, I you know, right, you know go through spurts of learning more about it. Um, you know, I've owned it before and, you know, if I know people that own it again, I, I don't even bat an eye, right? Hey, good for you. Yep. You want some? Good for you. You don't want some? Good for you. It's like, yeah, um, it's a preference. 
it's a uh, so I mean I think it's exciting, right? It's exciting. I think I, I again I think a lot of the points are 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 good and valid. Um, we just that's the theme of the episode, man. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. I, I think that has to be the title. And I know I've kept you longer than what we originally scheduled. And I know you have lots going on. Um, any closing thoughts? And also, where can people connect with you outside of Twitter, which I'll um, put up on the show notes? Yeah, you'll uh, you'll put the Twitter handle out. But yeah, I guess you know, the, the, <clears throat> I have a personal website, MikeTroxel.com. Our, our firm website is ModernFP.com. And yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter, and uh everywhere else so i appreciate you isaiah i think it's uh you i admire how much you've gotten into this and to be candid to, to anyone listening isaiah store when when he was first talking to me about it, it was not during a bitcoin heyday and i did give him a hard time he was behind the times because it was post 2017 <laughs> uh and then i i don't know if he remembers this but i said hey you were right buddy uh <laughs> you, you you uh so Kudos to you, and again, you're you're probably the, the best resource I know of, uh, and I've reached out to you before privately with some questions uh, about stuff. So, uh, you know, again, we don't know, but if when I have questions, you're the guy I go to. Yeah. So I, I appreciate you, and I think it's uh, cool what you're doing. Well, and I appreciate you being willing to come on and talk when you don't know, because it is, I mean, it's an intimidating topic for a lot of people, because I'm not trying to play gotcha. It's trying to just say, like, have you thought about this? How do we think about it? And I always want people to push back because if I'm wrong, um, I have a significant amount of my net worth in Bitcoin. I want to know if I'm wrong sooner rather than later, right? If, I, if I'm wrong, I want someone to prove and show me why I'm wrong. And I'm continuing to push and try to find that because I have plenty of people that I know that I can ask that will tell me that I'm correct at the moment. And I like those people and we can still have really good conversations and learn, but there, there's a lot of people that want to push back and I want to hear that. And I want to have the conversations, but I want them to be intellectually honest in a conversation. I think that it's one thing that I really appreciate about you in, in this episode. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're wrong about the pizza thing, though. That people are definitely going to like pizza. <laughs> you, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, you know, put it out there. Uh, Domino's Pizza or Bitcoin at a million in 2030. Uh, so I've uh, I've made the mistake of price predictions uh, in, in the past. I've tried to to stay away from that, but. Um, uh, I've gotten some people that have uh, made comments when I've done that. So I, I don't usually do too many price predictions, but that's one yeah. I, I'll throw out there. Awesome. But thank you, Mike. We'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Take care.